Hello, welcome back to Adorn Podcast. This is episode 63, and we're going to be covering the last chapter of Ephesians, chapter 6. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Adorned Podcast. We're your hosts, Erin and Casey. We would love for you to come join us each week as we discuss what it means to be made beautiful by God's Word. Whether you are a college student walking to class, a mom folding laundry during nap time, or a boss babe sitting in rush hour traffic, we hope that we can encourage and inspire you to pursue a deeper understanding of the Bible. This went by really fast. Did it go by fast to you? Well, yeah, because it's much shorter than Genesis. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Everything's going to go fast. Except for Jonathan's going through the Psalms right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, dude, that's going to take you like six years. Yeah. I know. When I saw him doing that, I was like, oh, we should do that. And then I was like, oh, wow, that'd be a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And he's reading. I'm pointing to it because we're at his desk. He's reading like this Spurgeon. Which looks awesome. It's like a, it's a commentary. It's called a. A treasury. treasury. The treasury of David. A friend gave him to him a long time ago. And yeah, it looks awesome. But yeah, sometimes Spurgeon's hard to read. I love the man, but you know, yeah. sometimes it's a little bit difficult. So yeah. anyway, Back last, to chapter, last <laughs> chapter of Ephesians. Yeah. So I feel like every time we kind of start with the same recap, but I feel like it's a good place to start reminding mm-hmm. ourselves, yeah. um, you know, that we're finishing up a letter, mm-hmm. one complete letter. We're not just saying here's chapter six of Ephesians. We're, we're coming to the, the final notes, mm-hmm. the final thoughts of um, Paul writing to the church of Ephesus. And we've looked at so much already. We've talked about what the gospel is, what our identity is in the gospel and how to kind of live out the gospel. I heard um, in a sermon, he kind of worded it different, but I think it's a good reminder that he's not just kind of like word vomiting all of us. He's got kind of a, I don't want to say like a system, but he's got, He's like intentional. A structure. Yeah. Yeah. He hasn't, he's intentional with what he's saying. He's got some structure to it. And so um, we can see that he's telling us how to live out the gospel within church, how we're to live out the gospel within, you know, community or society, how we're supposed to live out the gospel in our homes. We talked about that a lot last week with um, chapter five, specifically about marriage and all of that. And then now we're going to talk about more a little bit within the home. We'll talk about kids and parents and how they're supposed to live out the gospel together. And then also in this chapter, what most people know from Ephesians six is armor of God. And so what that's telling us is how to, how to kind of live out the gospel in reminding ourselves that there is spiritual warfare going on and how does the gospel affect that? So we'll dig into that a little bit today. Yep. It's going to be good. Yeah. So I feel like chapter six just kind of picks right up, you know, or chapter, I think, I feel like it's an interesting place. How yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to say that. I don't want to say it's wrong, but yeah. I feel like it doesn't Chapter six shouldn't start right there. Right. Yeah. Because it just continues on with this idea of submission. Mm -hmm. So it goes from the end of chapter five with submission um, as a wife to her husband. And then it goes straight into we're looking at kids. Right. And so the beginning of this section, you could say, started at chapter five, verse 21, where it said, um, to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, mm-hmm. which was setting us up for these different systems of submission that Paul was going to talk about. The first one, like Casey said, was between husbands and wives. And then now this is the second one we're talking about with his children and parents. So that's picking up in verse one. You want to read, Casey? Yeah, sure. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may l- Live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay, so was this the first verse you taught your kids? (laughs) I don't know. 
It was mine. It was the first was verse yours I taught for my sure. kids. Yeah. We actually, next year, I'd forgotten about this until I started studying. For CC in cycle two, which is what we're going to be on next year, we um, are going to be memorizing all of Ephesians 6. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. We do it to song, of course. Of course. But yeah. Yeah. There's That's a Ross King song. We did it last cycle too, but I did. I wasn't real great with scripture memory that cycle. So we're going to try harder this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yep. This was the first verse I taught my kids, which is probably quite selfish, but, um, I think all the <laughs> no, mamas in hey, the house, Bible. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's Bible. Can't, I can't say that was not good. Um, but I thought this was super interesting and this, I didn't like do a ton of research to back this up and valid- validity, validate, validate, <laughs> validate, validate this. But, um, one of my notes said that, um, in my, in my Bible said, okay, so it has that little aside, right? In the parentheses where it says, this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. And I always like thought that was kind of strange, uh-huh. but I never really looked into it. But this time what I read was that, um, if a, in this culture, in this time, if a child like struck, like hit or cursed a parent that they could be punished with death. That is crazy. And so the fact that they're saying obey and then you will live longer, like actually you will live longer. <laughs> it's if you like obey. literally meaning that. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Okay. It's not funny. Actually, it's really not funny, but it's interesting. And it, it is kind interesting. of like makes a little more sense of that, that, that it comes with a promise because then you'll live longer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was good. Wow. Interesting. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, when we're talking about like submitting the whole idea of submitting, um, we're all submitting to something, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Like whether it's our boss, our calendar, our, you know, pleasing others, creating, um, kind of looking at who we are, like we're all submitting to somebody. And so even if you don't have children, you are a child, right? And even if you don't have a great relationship with your parents, like we're all children of God. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I think that, it's important to remember through all of these like illustrations that Paul's using. It's, it's ultimately comparing our relationship to our heavenly father. Mm -hmm. And I love how every time um, Paul mentions submission or is addressing someone to submit like children or wives, or um, we'll see later with bond servants. But anytime he addresses someone to submit, he also addresses the person receiving the submission or the person Uh that, you know, is in authority over that. And so he doesn't just say, Hey, children submit to your parents or Hey, wives submit to your husbands. He also then says, and husbands, this is how you are to treat them. Or and parents, this is Mm -hmm. how you are to treat them. Because if we read on the very next thing, um, it says, which Casey already read in verse four, it says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So it shows that Paul um, is not just giving commands. We're remembering that he's reminding us how to put the gospel on display within these relationships. And in order to do that, it's not just the submission that's putting the gospel on display, but it's also that authority and having a right view of authority um, that also puts the gospel on display. So he's not just saying submit and now you have to listen, but he's also saying, Hey, you and authority, you have a calling on your life too, Mm -hmm. in a way to live out um, your calling on your life in a way that glorifies God. Right. And the actual verb here is ictrefo. And it means, it means to nourish or feed. And I think actually when I was looking at 
stuff for CC. I think actually in the King James version, it does say nourish. But um, when I think about like nourishing our kids, of course you think about the physical, but then you also think about how Jesus is called the bread of life. Mm -hmm. And so giving them that nourishment to their soul and feeding them Jesus, discipline of the Lord, not discipline of us, not discipline of what we want them to be or how Mm -hmm. we want them to look. And I was listening to a sermon and he brought out the fact, he said, if you're embarrassed of your kids, then like your kid's behavior, you might want to kind of check yourself Mm, a little bit. mm. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, why am I embarrassed of the way they're acting? Am I embarrassed because they're not listening to me and they're making me look bad? Or like, is it really a true like discipline thing that needs to be addressed? But most of the time, like for me, most of the time it's, oh, you're making me look bad. And that's not what we're supposed to do. Um, Calvin says about these verses to let them be fondly cherished, deal with them gently. And I was like, oh man, how often do I fondly cherish Mm -hmm. my babies? Mm -hmm. Like that was super convicting to me because I don't think every single day I look at them and cherish them fondly. Like I should, Mm -hmm. they're such gifts and we don't always treat them that way. That's really good. It reminds me of, um, the book, um, Feminine Appeal, Carolyn Mahaney, she talks about that. She says, as parents, it's very easy for us to give that kind of agape type love where mm-hmm. we're like, I'm going to serve you sacrificially or uh, unconditionally and even sacrificially. And I'm going to do that. But do I really slow down and have like brotherly affection, like phileo type yeah. love for my children? And that was super convicting to me because it's true. Like it's easy for us to sacrifice for them and to love them that way. But do we really like fondly cherish mm-hmm. them the way that we should? Yeah. Well, and just the fact that Paul is addressing the children at all Mm -hmm. um, in this means that they were active members of the church Mm. because he was writing this letter to the church. Yeah, yeah. And so that means he expected the children to hear Ooh, that's this good. letter. I never thought about it like yes, that. Yes, it was brought out in the commentary I was reading. And I was like, that is so cool to me because so many times we just shove the kids over in the children's building mm-hmm. and we forget that they're active members of the church yeah. and they can comprehend so much more. I mean, we've talked about this a ton on here, but they can comprehend so much more than we than we give them credit for. Mm-hmm. And like exactly like Aaron's saying, like there are brothers and sisters in Christ too. And we don't need to just shove them aside and and um, not let them be a part of the body as a whole. Mm. Um, I think that's so important. Yeah. So I like really that. That's yeah. really good. Another thing we can notice here is as um, like we said that Paul was giving commands, not commands, but he was telling the person submitting what to do and the person in authority what to do. But we also see that he even goes more specific. And I thought this was really neat. I hadn't picked up on this before, but not only does he tell them what to do or what not to do, but he kind of does both. So like Mm -hmm. when he says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. So don't do this, Mm -hmm. but instead do do this, this, which I think is just so helpful because he could have just said, don't do this. Then we'd be like, okay, then what do I do? Or, you know, he could have just said, do this and Mm -hmm. you wouldn't have known to not do this. So the fact that he's so clear and practical and concise, Mm -hmm. I think is really helpful and makes it I don't want to say like more black and white, but it makes it very Mm -hmm. clear to us what to do. So we don't have to Mm -hmm. try to figure it out on our own. It's very kind of him. Yes, it is. (laughs) Thank you, Paul. Thanks, Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Verses five through nine. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. 
knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Where do we want to start with this? Because I feel like, okay, so we're continuing that theme, right? Uh We're continuing the The submission submission and Mm -hmm. the systems in which we do that. But now we're kind of, we're kind of in the first glance, we're thinking, oh, we're taking this outside of the family. Mm -hmm. But since he's addressing the family submission here, what we see is that we kind of have to deconstruct our thoughts on what bond servants or your, um, your translation might say slaves Mm -hmm. or servants or something like that. And so we kind of have to step back from what that automatically connotates in our minds and realize that the fact that he's addressing this as family means they were considered part of the Mm -hmm. family. And I read, um, that, bond servants made up about a third of the population. So that's a big group of people that he's addressing. And they were, they were considered part of the family. So Paul discussing submission within the bond servants naturally goes along with the submission of other family relationships like wives to husbands and children's to parents. But we might, we might not think of that, you know, right away because of what we would think. Right. Yeah. And I, this was, tough for me and I liked how Aaron kind of broke it down in our notes because I was like I go into it and I immediately kind of shut down because I'm like slaves bad like Mm -hmm. you know and so it's it's because we think of it in such a different um such a different context and I listen to a sermon and then in reading commentary I mean they all say the same thing right like if you are dehumanizing anybody like if a a leader or a quote-unquote master is dehumanizing anybody else like that is not right and Mm -hmm. that is not good and that is not biblical Mm -hmm. and Paul would shut that down real fast you know Mm -hmm. um so this is um not condoning any behavior like that at all this is basically Paul saying number one like Aaron said like this was just kind of a part of their society they were considered part of the family um but this was also Paul just reminding them um of a couple of different things I think the living in unity because that was another thing I heard in a sermon was um that they weren't always treated Mm -hmm. treated right um and so this was Paul reminding them kind of coming on the the heels of him talking about unity through the whole letter mm-hmm. he's he's reminding them of that unity but then also just the whole idea of submission like even when you're in a situation where it might be hard to submit to your leader or your boss or your master or whatever you are to submit because that is ultimately a picture of submitting mm-hmm. to God do you think it's fair to make the transition from okay this passage is talking about now like maybe within a work situation that Mm -hmm. you could then say you know this applies to us today as far as hey when you're at work like oh absolutely for the Mm -hmm. lord and not for eye service or as people pleasers oh absolutely and i think that's what he's saying i think that like aaron said bond servants were so common Mm -hmm. and it was just kind of a common job um that that's why Paul was addressing them here. Um, And so I think that that's definitely how we could apply this today is that whatever position we're in, like we said earlier, we're all in submission to somebody and something and um, whatever position we're in, we should 
we should submit respectfully. And this mm. gets tricky because yeah. because people can be mean. I mean, people are sinful. And so this is where I kind of struggle with this because, like I said, like abuse, verbal mm-hmm. or physical, like emotional, like abuse is never okay. And you should right. never treat another human um, like they're below you or anything like that. But we do have these systems in place where there are leaders. And it's like the sermon I was listening to said Paul would say, like, they are to be servant leaders. Mm-hmm. You know, they mm-hmm. are to be good leaders, just like the husband is to love the wife. The master should should love the servant. Um, but at the same time, the servant should should submit to that authority. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's tricky. And especially in our culture where we're like, I rule my own life. Mm-hmm. Like I'm in charge of me. Nobody can tell me what to do. But if you think of it in like a normal work job situation, like you have a boss, yeah. you got to do what they right. say. Right? Well, I mean, that's what I think too. But most millennials would actually argue with that. Or a <laughs> lot of millennials would actually argue with that. So that's why I'm kind of treading lightly because this is very countercultural yeah. these days, I feel like. Yeah. Because I feel like a lot of in our generation, like, People don't want to submit to other people. Mm. I feel like it's almost easier to say you need to submit to your husband than you need to to submit to your boss. Like, I hear it all the time. I'm like, yeah, well, you need to do that because that's a part of your job. And they're like, (laughs) but they shouldn't tell me what to do. And I'm like, but they're your boss. So I think this is definitely what Paul's saying here is like, there's these these systems in order for a reason and and there's there's something to respecting authority. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I don't yeah. know. I feel like it's just so tricky with our culture, but Well, I think there's some other things we can draw from here too that like Paul is reminding them that they ultimately both serve the same master who is yes. seated in the heavenly places. Yeah. So, which I think, you know, comes on the part where he's more well, I mean, he's talking to both of them at this point, bond servants and masters, but he's reminding the masters like, "Hey, just because you're in a position of authority doesn't mean you get to use that for your own power." Like, right. There is no partiality with God. When he views both of you, he views you the same. He doesn't view you as better because you're in leadership mm-hmm. or you better because oh, you're, sure. you know, a bond servant. He sees, he's, he sees you all in the image of God. And so reminding them of that at the end of all of this, I think is really interesting because it kind of feels like it should have come before all of these, uh-huh. you know, systems. Cause it's true for all of it. Like yeah. it's true for children mm-hmm. and parents. It's true for husbands and wives. It's true for bond servants and masters or employees and employers or however you want to say that, that, you know, God views us all in the image um, made in his image and that he, there is no partiality with him in that, you know, we, we may be in these systems of um, leadership and authority or submission, but at, that doesn't denote any more dignity or value mm-hmm. between any of us. We're all made in the image of God. Yeah. We're all, yes. But he, I mean, he's, he is not saying that these don't matter. Right. Like these they systems do. still matter because yes. God, I mean, if you think about it and this is, and this is probably going to sound, I don't know if crass is the right word or what, but like, Whoever created knows the best way for something to work. Right. You know what I mean? Like if I created this like incredible system of government or something like that and then somebody came in and was like, oh, actually, I want to do it this way. I'm like, no, I created it. I know how it works. I know how it's going to best flourish and how it's best going to serve and how it's, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so for us to be like, no, but I don't really like that part of it. I'm just going to do it my way. Then we're thinking like, I know how to do things better than the person the God who created all of this. And so I know when that you say can be insensitive, way, but no, that doesn't sound insensitive. It makes us sound crazy though. I mean, <laughs> when, like, really, I mean, cause if we're trying to go against the person that created us, when he obviously knows what's best for us, like, yeah. 
what are we thinking? Come and not on. only is it like he created it, so we should listen to him, but he created it and he loves us. Yes. You know what I mean? So good. he wants what's for our good yes. and what's going to best help us to flourish and to bring him glory and bring goodness to us. So why, I don't know why it's our automatic, well, because of depravity, mm-hmm. I guess, but it's our automatic, you know, instinct to kind of buck up against it when in actuality we really should just submit to yes. it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine <laughs> that. <laughs> I liked what your, you want to read your ESV note? I liked what it said. Mm. Yeah, this kind of goes back to what Casey was saying about how this doesn't like condone slavery or anything like that. But my ESV note, ESV note says um, Paul does not condone the system of slavery instead he provides instructions to believing masters and slaves or bond servants regarding the relationship to each other in the Lord and how this should be lived out within the boundaries of their social and legal culture the result as often observed is that slavery slowly started to die out through the influence of Christianity yeah I so, like that. I thought, yeah. So as they were living the way that the Lord had set them up to live, the the bad was slowly, to go away. yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, we're still struggling with some of that today, but hopefully, we'll continue to see that even dialed even more. I mm-hmm. liked um, in John Stott's um, the message of Ephesians. He also talks about kind of the same thing. He says in labor relations today, the same basic principle holds good of justice based on reciprocal reciprocal rights employers and employees alike have duties the employee to give good work and the employer to pay a just wage then each person's duty becomes the other person's right if it is the employee's duty to give good work it is the employer's right to expect it if it is the employer's duty to pay a fair wage it is the employee's right to expect it the major human problem in management labor dis is that each side concentrates on securing its own rights mm-hmm. and on inducing the other side to its duty. Paul, however, reverses the emphasis. He urges each side to concentrate on its responsibilities, not its rights. Certainly, if in modern industrial disputes, the concern were for each side to fulfill its own duty and secure the other side's rights, labor relations would immediately be sweetened. Huh. So I like this because it makes me think of um, a lot of times when we talk about marriage, Mm -hmm. We talk about, you know, if we're focused on the other person, if we focus on serving the other person instead of our own desires, then the whole marriage will just flourish Mm -hmm. and be better. But it's talking about the same thing, like in this like work environment or the master servant, whatever you want to call it environment that if we're focused on doing our own part, Mm -hmm. our own responsibilities, instead of what we should be getting from the Mm -hmm. other person, then we'll naturally just flourish. And, and, um, that's how God intends for us to live. Yeah. It's that self-sacrifice and that, that really caring about the other person. Mm, That's good. Yeah. That's good. All right. So we're finishing that section that started back in 521 and we're kind of shifting gears here. And, um, I think, you know, anytime we come to the end of a book, we see like, okay, what's the last thing they said? Like, this has got to be really important because it's the last thing they're going to say. And so we're going to jump into the armor of God. But before we do that, we want to talk about it a little bit because I think this is one of those passages again, where maybe you have studied it before. Maybe you've kind of backed away from it because you're like, this sounds really weird. And I don't want to talk about Mm -hmm. spiritual warfare or anything like that. And, um, 
we understand that there's a lot of there can be a lot of baggage or there can be a lot of fear there can be a lot of just um wanting to ignore that part that's where I am yeah uh-huh <laughs> um, and if we're gonna be honest that's kind of where I am too with the spiritual warfare thing I'm like let's just not talk about yeah. that um but it's in the bible and it's in Ephesians so we're gonna talk about it but I I'll just say and I don't know if you can agree with this Casey but I don't feel like equipped to talk about spiritual warfare because I haven't I don't feel like I've studied it enough and there's so much um that goes into it and and to be completely honest if I start to go down that rabbit hole sometimes I just get like super freaked out Mm -hmm. and so we're gonna um kind of try to approach it from a real like balanced but not super in-depth on like what actually is spiritual warfare and we're just gonna try to kind of go verse by verse and and, and do the best we can. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> and I think part of it is um, because of the denomination that I grew up in. Mm. I mean, I don't feel like, I don't think Baptists are super um, heavy into like studying about spiritual warfare and stuff. I mean, obviously, like we believe that it's there and it's in the Bible. But um, I think that sometimes we tend to kind of swing away from it. Like Aaron said, whether it's because of um, just kind of being fearful or kind of worrying about like being like too Mm -hmm. quote unquote, like too charismatic and too like out there. And also I even read in the commentary that, um, and we'll talk about this a little bit more here in a minute, but like some people kind of, um, stayed away from it because there was so much like, um, like we talked about in Genesis with like magic, like, Uh like, um, like, I don't even know. Divination is what mm-hmm, they called it mm-hmm. in, in Genesis. But like just this kind of dark. And yeah. I mean, that's what spiritual warfare is. It's dark, but it's hard to kind of tell like what's biblical, what's not. Like mm-hmm. it's just there. there's no like real distinct line. And so I think sometimes we just don't talk about it because right. we don't want to risk being wrong. Mm-hmm. Like it is kind of confusing and we don't want to risk being wrong or scaring people or scaring ourselves. <laughs> and so we just stay away from it. Yeah. And so anyway, we're going to address it kind of today, but <laughs> if, <laughs> if that is something you want to study more then I challenge you to dig in and maybe, maybe in the future we'll do a series or something and um, we'll learn about it more ourselves. Aaron's eyes just got really big <laughs> because I think it is something that um, I know I'm lacking in my knowledge of, but. Yeah, I like what Gloria Furman says about this passage um, in her book, Alive in Him. She says, what you're about to read in Ephesians 6.10 through 24 is not some weird hallucination dreamed up by a prisoner in chains, but is the doctrinally driven application of everything we've read in Ephesians. So she's like, this might seem like it's kind of weird way to end a letter, but it's not. It's not like he's just making something up. Like this is doctrinally driven application. Yep. So we better listen and... uh, do what it says. Yes. Yes. Even if it does freak us out a little bit. (laughs) So one more thing real quick. So I have studied, um, a little bit about the armor of God. I've, um, went through a Bible study called armor of God by Priscilla Shire, which is really good. If you want to study more about this, it's a great, I think it's like a six or seven week, um, study. And she goes into kind of each piece of armor really well. And, um, it's really good. And, But one thing I never picked up on really, and she may have talked about it in that study and I just missed it, but, and I've read through Ephesians before, but one thing that has really been standing out to me as a theme throughout this book, and we've talked about it a lot is, you know, like unity and community and how most of this 
letter is not to be applied specifically only to individuals, but as to the church and the group of believers. And so that's the same thing as we go into this um, armor of God. He's still speaking to the church Mm -hmm. as in the people of God. Um, And so when I've studied armor of God before, and I I did a um, armor of God little like homeschool curriculum with my kids and even with that, it's been very focused on here's my armor. I'm going to put on my shoes and my helmet and my belt. And it's been very like just me and God. Like a very and so, yeah, personal thing. Yeah. Which, you know, isn't like sinful or anything like that. Yeah. But to just try to take a step back and keep our mind open to the fact that he's addressing a group of people to do this together within community. So keep that in mind as mm-hmm. we start to go through this. Okay, so verses 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So we haven't even talked about armor yet, but there's a lot of good things we can draw out from this. And I think the first one is that that first verse, which is actually, I think, probably the second verse I had my kids memorized mm, to be strong. And Lord. Yes. We should post kids, that video yes. when we post this because it's so cute. They're like two <laughs> years old. Like, be strong in the Lord. Um, but what the point I'm trying to make is that um, it's only in the Lord's strength that we can live out the gospel. So it's only in the Lord's strength that we can do any of these things that Paul is telling us to do and how to live out the gospel. And I thought this was really interesting. This, this phrase in here, be strong in this specific passage is actually a passive mm-hmm. um, command or a passive verb. That's a verb, right? Yeah. Um, and it, it's better understood to say like, let the Lord be your strength. Because, you know, like, be strong means, like, oh, I got to muster this strength. But it's actually more yep. true to form if you were to say, let the Lord be your strength. And I think that's that's a good reminder. But then sometimes we, we slink, sink too much into that, right? Mm-hmm. And so what's kind of the other way that people go? Yeah, so at the same time, there is action to this because it is our part to put on the armor mm-hmm. of God. And so there is this balance between... you know letting it um be a passive thing and letting the lord's strength be ours and letting him fight these battles for us while at the same time we can't just sit back and do nothing like we have to stand up and put on that armor and be united as the church and um do these things so you have to do both and that's Mm -hmm. hard i think we tend to sit in one or the other depending on our personalities depending on the season of life depending on a lot of different things but but there's a balance between the two yeah yeah, that's really good. And I think, um, like we mentioned with the spiritual warfare, another thing we can talk about with this passage is how it says um, to stand against the schemes of the devil, and we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over the present darkness. And a lot of people, you're like, that's where I'm done. I'm done. Yep, checking yep. out. But don't check out. Okay, don't check out. So this has always been a little bit tricky of a concept for me to understand, because I know, like, Jesus has come, and he's conquered death, and he's conquered the enemy, and and that's finished. Like, I know yeah. that. But then we kind of live in this already, but not mm-hmm. yet, and mm-hmm. there's still... Like, what can the enemy do? What can he not do, considering Jesus has already conquered? And so that that's always been a little confusing to me. And I listened to this sermon by um, D.A. Carson, which we'll l- note in the show notes. But he had an analogy. And again, I didn't 
fact check this with anything else, but Carson's pretty solid. Yeah. So I figure it's pretty good. But he gave us an analogy, which I thought was pretty helpful. Um, he was saying that uh, like at the end of World War Two, before even before D-Day, like Hitler knew he lost. Like it was very obvious he was running out of resources. We had way more people, mm-hmm. way more money, like all that. He knew he lost. So like in um, principle, he had lost. Yeah. But he didn't stop. Like he still tried to do as much damage as he could mm. what, with the time that he had. Yeah, that's good. And so Carson was kind of relating that. I mean, I don't think it's a specifically direct analogy, although Hitler's probably pretty close to the <laughs> devil. But um, he's saying that the enemy, you know, he knows he lost. Yeah. And he knows ultimately he's not going to triumph. But in the meantime, he's going to try to do as much mm. damage as he can. And so that kind of helped me understand yeah. a little bit. Um, I think there's a couple important things that we do know that um, there's this is not like dualism it's not like good versus bad and the enemy has the exact same power as god that's not true that's not biblical um there are certain boundaries that the enemy cannot go outside of like he's not omniscient he doesn't know all things mm-hmm. he's not omnipresent he can't be all places like god so which we, that's confusing to that me. is confusing yes that is confusing <laughs> i mean because he does have like demons demons and and this is where it gets very confusing but i think just keeping in mind like the fact that he is not the equal equivalent bad side to god is really important to note because then we give him too much power Mm -hmm. and then we give into too much fear Mm -hmm. so just reminding ourselves that like he does have boundaries we even see like when the enemy is trying to um test and ruin job like he has to go through god on what he's allowed to Mm -hmm. do to him so there is um that's just one thing that I think is important to keep in mind. But we do we do have a real enemy. Is there anything else you want to talk about that? No. The enemy No, thing? that's good. That's good. Okay. Um, oh, man. I feel like I'm out of breath now from all that time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. Okay. So um, just on that same vein, like reminding ourselves that our, like it says, our fight is not with flesh and blood. And this was something Priscilla talked about in the Armor of God study that I thought was really helpful is kind of like it disarms you to realize my ultimate fight is not with my boss or with my kids Mm -hmm. or with my husband. Like my ultimate um, problem or whatever it is, is because of sin and because of the enemy. And so so kind of like if you just as an example, like if you find yourself like getting annoyed with the same thing your husband has done over and over again, like reminding yourself like my issue is not with him or this thing that he's doing, my ultimate, the basic like if you take it all the way all back, back. Yep. the the main issue is you know with the enemy yeah I mean that's that really fair? good okay that's helpful because I feel like we that takes the pressure off yeah of yeah exactly our loved one mm-hmm. you know and we can fight a little bit different battle yeah you know we re- if we realize it's a little bit more of like an internal battle versus mm-hmm. this external with mm-hmm. that person um I think that's real good especially like you said like with our husbands or our kids or like close friends or um I'm thinking you know big picture even as we're talking about like unity in the church mm-hmm. like thinking about this is this is deeper than just this person is annoying me or whatever like this is a a real battle that I need to fight in a spiritual way Mm -hmm. um and I think that's good I think that's real good yeah and we'll talk about what does that mean to fight in a spiritual way as we get into this yeah I think one um thing that I found helpful was like to think about 
the enemy in, in what our actual fight is with is to, to look back to, okay, what's going on here? Kind of like Casey's saying, like it's more of an internal thing. And I think the enemy kind of focuses on three areas like division. So like you're saying mm-hmm. that lack of unity, he focuses on division. He focuses on distortion, which we see all the way back with Eve. He's distorting the truth of yeah. God yeah. Um, or we see distraction. And that's a big one. I think for oh, us yeah. in this day and age where it's like, I don't really want to deal with that bigger spiritual issue. So I'm just going to distract myself with yep. this. And that's completely the enemy because he, he knows that there'll be healing. If you actually face that spiritual mm-hmm. battle that you're, you know, trying to distract yeah. yourself from. So he's like, I'm just going to keep distracting mm-hmm. you. And we talked about that. Um, I think it was in chapter four or three, um, or five <laughs> where, well, where we were saying how, um, like sometimes the enemy will blind us to our own sin mm-hmm. so that we're that not aware of our need for a savior. Yeah. And that's that same thing. That's d- distortion and distraction. He's mm-hmm. distorting the fact that we are sinful and he's distracting us with the fact, Oh, well you're not as bad as that person. Right. So you don't really need a savior. Right. So those are the, some, some of the like, main ways we see the enemy working. And so just kind of having an awareness of that can say, okay, you know, the fact that I'm really upset about this gossip that has been said about me, I need to remind myself like, that's not the main issue. The main issue is that the enemy is trying to cause division right now. Mm. Does that make sense? And so really trying to take it back to what, what can I kind of strip this back to, to see what's the actual battle that's Mm. going on right now. That's good. I thought it was interesting because I was, I was reading some commentaries. Um, there's some people, and it sounds like just within this last century that has tried to turn this into more of um, being more about like social or political structures than actually huh. like spiritual beings. And oh, like Stott listed, yeah, Stott listed like four different like books that talk about this not being an actual like um, spiritual battle. Well, mm-hmm. it is still, it's spiritual, but but it's these, like I said, like social or political structures that are, um, that you're fighting against and not like Satan himself. Hmm. And so just after reading, and I, Stott said the same thing. He said, you know, I think I'm going to go with all the theologians that for centuries have, have agreed <laughs> that, that it it's is spiritual wise, buildings. Stott. And, and it says, you know, in the, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, like hmm. you can't, you can't argue with that. Like he's very specific, but I just thought that was interesting. I thought I would dr- address that in case you ever do hear, well, he's not really talking about Satan here. Like he's talking about these other things. And um, of course, Satan can use these different social or political structures um, for evil, but they are not the evil in themselves. Like it is a spiritual battle against um, spiritual forces of the heavenly places. I mean, Paul made that clear here. So I just thought I thought that was interesting. You know, you never know what what new things are going to kind of come up. But. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's a good point because hopefully it doesn't sound like we're trying to condone sin and say, oh, well, it's not really their fault right. that they're, you know, yeah. cause that's, that's not yeah. what we're trying to say. We're just trying to say like, it might be helpful to try to take a step back and look uh-huh. almost bigger picture yes. on what's going mm-hmm. on in those situations. Mm-hmm. So one last thing on this passage and then we'll move on. But the fact that we see that the, the phrasing to stand or to stand firm oh, yeah, we or see to that stand a lot. against. And I was listening to something about this and it was saying that um, just reminding ourselves that Jesus has already done the work and what we need to do is stand firm mm-hmm. in the work that he's already done. That's good. So it's not asking us to go and wage war on something that hasn't already been 
conquered or uh-huh. done like but to stand firm and not and to you know like hold our ground reminding ourselves like Jesus has finished this and I'm gonna stand firm against stand what's, in that yes yeah that's yeah good. So verses 14 through 18, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith in which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So, <laughs> so I think one thing that I also did not realize until this time studying through it, which is so, such a great, awesome thing. It reminds us like God's word is living mm-hmm. and active because like I said, I've studied through this before and all these new things have jumped out yeah. at me, um, is that this is in reference to a lot of old Testament yes, stuff. Yes. I know. I saw that too. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. We see back in Isaiah 11, Isaiah 52, um, lots of different areas where we see that what he's referencing here is, is talking about things that have would have um, made sense to them. Yes. Like they would have yes. heard that before. They would have gotten it. Yeah. So my ESV notes that um, Paul reiterates the charge to take a stand in the face of his dreaded enemies because the Lord has not left his people defenseless. They have the complete armor of God from head to foot, which consists of the belt, breastplate, shoes, shield, helmet, and sword. These are metaphors for the spiritual resources given to them in Christ, namely the truth of righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, and the word of God. Um, and it goes on to talk about how these are some of um, these are aspects of of the Messiah's own character and work, which we've read about before in, I'm totally reading the wrong note right now, but this is still really good. (laughs) (laughs) I thought this was where it was. Okay. okay. So sorry, I am reading the right one. Okay. So it's talking about how then it's in reference and we can even read some of this case. I think you had some of this notes where it's referencing back to different things when they were prophesying about Uh the Messiah. Um, these same terms were used, helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness. So did you have some more notes on that? Yeah. So in Isaiah 59, 17, it says, um, he put on the righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. And this is, I'm um, talking about the Lord here. And um, yeah, so, so we see, and then I, I think this is saying, in the future, though, that mm-hmm. he's going to do these mm-hmm. things. Um, and it's saying that he's going to go to battle for us. And we've mm-hmm. talked about that some before, but he's going to fight our battles. We don't have to fight these battles on our own. And so when we put on, he's saying, put on these weapons, like these are still his today. Mm-hmm. We're not, they're they're not new or different just for us. These are still his weapons, but he gives them to us to use. And so it's just important to remember that it's his doing, not ours. Yeah, Yeah, that's good. So, yeah. Um, So unlike Aaron, I actually have not studied this really ever before. I mean, I remember in Sunday school having those like little pictures on the wall Uh of like armor and things are listed. And I've heard my kids sing the little song that they've learned in church, but I've never really that I can recall Mm -hmm. done a study or anything. I missed the Priscilla Shire study a couple of years ago and um, I just never have. So this is my first time to really dive into it. And so this is I still feel like uh, it was a very... um, I don't know. I mean, I read quite a bit, but the first time you go through something, I feel like it's kind of surface and then you can go back in and kind of do deeper. So this is kind of my surface study, I guess, on it, um, which I have really, really enjoyed Mm -hmm. it this week and just kind of resting in it. And it's interesting because I actually I made myself go through it 
without my commentary mm-hmm. first, just to, yeah, and I took good. notes just to kind of see, um, what the Lord revealed to me. And it was like at 11 o'clock at night and I couldn't sleep. And I was like, okay, Lord, we're doing armor of God right now. <laughs> Let's and do it, it was just great. And I actually ended up like, I didn't, I, I don't want to say I didn't get a lot from the commentary <laughs> cause that's, that doesn't sound good. But like I ended up, I feel like, um, what the Lord showed me was very on point. Like, yeah. of course it was, but I don't know. Yeah. Like sometimes it's like, oh, I didn't even need the commentary. Mm-hmm. Like I really liked what the Lord just revealed to me through his word um, without even using the commentary. So that's just to encourage you that yeah. like, yes, we love our study tools and we think that that commentaries and, um, and study notes and study Bibles, like they're very important and they can be good and helpful. Um, but there is something to, I mean, anybody can study the Bible. Yeah. Like the Bible yeah. is for everyone. It's for you. It's for today. It's for right now. And you don't have to have all of these other things for it to speak to you. Mm-hmm. This is God's word and God's word alone is sufficient. Preach it. So <laughs> I, I really felt that this week in studying the armor of God. So we're going to just dive straight in to the belt of truth. And we're just going to kind of break these down and um, keep in mind, like Aaron said, this was to the whole church. This was mm-hmm. not just to an individual. So the belt of truth, um, I just like how a belt holds all things together. And it this can be referring to Christ as being the truth, because we see that Jesus is referred to as, you know, the truth mm-hmm. in the, in the life. Um, but then also at our own integrity and just, um, being truthful ourselves. Um, and, and remembering that both work together. Like if you're truly in Christ, then that integrity is going to just come out naturally. And so that's kind of what the, what the belt of truth is about. Anything to add to I that? just, I, I was reading this to Harper this morning cause she was up early and so we were reading it together and I read all of, you know, all the different ones. And I said, well, which one, you know, which one did you like or which one stood out to you? She was like the belts. And I was like, why? She goes, well, because I know I should tell the truth. And I was like, yeah, yes, that's good. Very good yeah. babe. <laughs> it's just that integrity. And yeah. you've instilled that in them since they were really little. So yeah. they know how important that integrity is. Yeah. And that's in their, in their little minds that that's an important thing. Um, and then next is the breastplate, breastplate of righteousness. And um, this is our salvation that covers us. And I think of like um, our imputed righteousness. It's, it just, that's what God sees now. Mm-hmm. is um is Jesus's blood covering us he doesn't see the dirty anymore he sees Jesus and um also another thing you can note about like a breastplate is that it protects all the vital organs mm-hmm. and so it's that it's that righteousness that covers all of all of what's important about yeah. us yeah. you know mm-hmm. um and then this is my favorite one well it's hard to have a favorite yeah. one. This one and the sword. Are I was going to say the one. sword. Yeah. yeah, this one and the sword. But so the gospel boots. And I like when the girls sing the song. They say gospel boots. And it <laughs> doesn't say it doesn't say gospel boots in this. But in one of the translation, it actually does say gospel boots, I think. But um, it's the shoes um, it, shoes for readiness or the gospel of peace. And this was what I was just kind of thinking through the other night when I was studying through this. And I was thinking about how when I'm not at peace, I feel frozen. Mm. Like my head and my heart, I I can't move. And I'm definitely not ready to fight any battles. That is for sure. And so, um, and I, I have trouble like even walking in the calling that the Lord has placed in front of me. Like I think about like, when I'm anxious and when I'm really struggling, like I have trouble even studying for the podcast. Yeah, like there yeah. have been days when I have just like, 
I can't move. And, and I just think about like how much strength peace gives us. Mm, like when mm-hmm. I can truly find that peace, I have the strength to move on mm. and the strength to, to uh, take that step. And so where does this peace come from? Ultimately, it comes from the gospel and the truth of the gospel. And um, so I think that we can think of these gospel peace boots as <laughs> um, as a couple of different things. So I think it's the peace for yourself and the peace, um, th- that inner peace that gets you ready to share the gospel mm-hmm. and then sharing that peace with other people mm-hmm. um, and that peace that the, that the gospel will provide them mm-hmm. as well. That's really good. And so who doesn't want... Peace, right, right right but I was just as I was thinking about it being like your shoes I was like I can't move mm-hmm. unless I have peace yeah. like I cannot move and so when you strap that peace on your feet mm-hmm. you're ready to go and you're ready to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and share that peace with other people and so I like that a lot because it was just very um I was able to grasp it mm-hmm. really and you know in my heart and in my head and um and just that that peace of knowing that like God's got it you yeah. know like it's not up to us it's our salvation is not up to us which we'll talk about a little bit in a minute but it's just the gospel is what brings us the ultimate peace because mm-hmm. without the gospel like we wouldn't have peace. Yeah, that's really good. And I think if we're specifically thinking about these things as ways to fight against spiritual warfare, peace is something that, you know, the enemy does not want us to have. Right. He wants that disunity. Yeah. And, that and so when we're like intentionally praying through these things or asking the Lord to help us with and put on these armor. And um, I know some people who kind of go through this like every morning of like, okay, I need to put Mm -hmm. on each piece of armor. I think, you know, like you're saying, there's no favorites, but this is one that I think you're saying, like you're saying is very tangible and very practical because you can think about, okay, as you're putting on your shoes, even, I mean, if you want to get real, like, Mm -hmm. no, I don't want to say cheesy, but if you want to get like real practical with it, like as you're putting on your shoes, like Lord, as I put on these shoes, like let them fill me with peace through your peace that I can be ready to share your gospel mm-hmm. because you're right if you're not filled with peace you're distracted you're thinking of other things you're not able to really see the opportunities right. in front of you to share the gospel yeah so I think like someone like me who I'll forget unless I have like a practical application to doing mm-hmm. that like mm-hmm. now tomorrow morning when I put my shoes on actually my shoes are off right now so <laughs> when I go to put my shoes back on when we're done here I'll like think about that like okay mm-hmm. I'm putting my shoes on like my my shoes of peace and like yeah. that peace only comes through Christ and that peace is going to make me awareness to want to share that peace mm-hmm. and I think that's, I really like that. Mm -hmm. It's really practical. I liked the gospel boots. And then we have the shield of faith, which can extinguish flaming darts. And I thought this was interesting because I heard several different places. um, They talked about the shields that they used back then and um, how it was a shield that, you know, covered um, your whole body. And so Mm -hmm. when you were thinking about the church, the whole, it's going to cover the whole church, but um, they made them of wood, like double, like two pieces of wood. And it would have like um, animal skin in between them, but then they would soak it in water. Mm -hmm. So when flaming darts came, it would put the flaming darts Mm -hmm. out. I thought that was really just interesting and put a different, um, a little different spin on it because I think for us, we think of a shield as being like metal and so a flaming dart and a, yeah, yeah, small little metal thing. So it's just a little bit different, but I think it's important to remember that our faith is powerful. And, um, I think we forget this, but it totally makes sense because the more we grounded are in our faith, the better we can stand up to and against evil. So it's our faith that's able to put out those, those darts mm-hmm. that are mm-hmm. flying at us. Mm-hmm. Um, anything to add to that? Yeah, I think um, she talked about this in the Priscilla Shire study, and I heard this somewhere else too, that 
we, you know, we'll, we'll take this like Casey saying as like my specific shield, but what actually they would do like in battle, um, during this time was instead of just like covering themselves with their shield, they would all huddle together Mm -hmm. and almost make like a, like a turtle shell. You know what I mean? Uh Like they would all angle different ways so that their whole crew or whatever you call, I don't know what you call that in warfare, but like they would be together and they would be much stronger because there would be no gaps Mm -hmm. because everybody would be together with their shields all around them. I'm really talking with my hands right now. So it's unfortunate. You can't see. I see what she's (laughs) saying. But basically they would huddle together and have these shields all around them so that they were fully Mm -hmm. protected. And I think, um, what we can elude from that is our faith is made stronger in community because there's times where when you're isolated and you're alone, even if you have that shield which Casey was saying was much bigger than mm-hmm. we think of a shield you're still you know open on the back open on the right. sides like you're much more vulnerable to these flaming arrows from the enemy you know whether those are evil thoughts those are lies those are temptation whatever that is when we're together within community and you've got my back and you've got my side and we're all around each other holding up those arrows it's so much easier for us to extinguish those mm-hmm. flaming arrows because we have each other to yeah. help us do that so that's just an encouragement I mean you know we're big fans of community but there is real Mm -hmm. practical um faith saving work that goes on when we live in community for sure for sure then we have the helmet of salvation i'm still trying to kind of sit in this um even after reading commentaries and stuff um just like after like trying to really grasp exactly what it means um but one thing i read said that paul was talking about both the present and future salvation like we're saved right now and god's gonna or jesus will come back later and also save us then um and then just i liked i did hear this morning um thinking about the helmet being on your head being the knowledge of salvation and just remembering um whose we are and and who our salvation comes from that we are not saved by our own doing but we are saved by God and just kind of resting in that knowledge mm-hmm. that's good I don't have anything to add okay <laughs> and then the sword of the spirit and I think this is ultimately um, my favorite one and it's the word of God and it's the only offensive 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 <laughs> Or offensive, offensive, maybe. offensive, <laughs> offensive weapon listed. Um, so does this mean that we should use the Bible as a weapon to hurt others? Yeah. <laughs> yes, <Just> exactly. <laughs> like whack them on the head with it. No, um, but it's it's kind of sad because a lot of people I think actually do this because yeah. they take things out of context or like twist the words of the Bible and they, they use it to hurt others. And that is not what the Bible is meant for at all. Um, now, it can be a little bit of a sting like when you're convicted Mm, by mm, what the mm -hmm. words say and the Holy Spirit absolutely uses the sword Mm -hmm. um, for convictions. But, but when people use it to intentionally hurt someone else, like that's not good and Mm -hmm. that's not what it should be for. Um, So what does it mean that the Bible's a sword? And I think that it means that no evil will prevail when standing up to get Mm -hmm. up against God's word. Like Mm -hmm. it will always win. And um, like we've said before, we're not fighting against flesh and blood and the battle is much um, a much deeper, more spiritual fight. So our goal shouldn't be to hurt 
our brothers and sisters with the word, but it should be to do exactly what Aaron was talking about earlier and really get to the root of the problem Mm -hmm. and um, to fight evil. And the best way we're going to do this is with God's holy word. Mm -hmm. And um, it's interesting because in the original language, the specific word for sword and the type of sword that it's referring to is a really little short sword. And so I thought that was interesting, but I think what we can draw from that is that it's an intimate and personal Mm -hmm. battle Mm -hmm. and that when we are sharing God's word with other people and when we're, um, or yeah, cause so it's hard because I said, we're not fighting against other people, but we do use the sword, the Bible for evangelism mm-hmm. and say like Aaron's off doing something that she's not supposed to be doing. Well, I would, I would approach her through scripture, mm-hmm. you know, and be like, I don't think that that's biblical, you know, so I'm not using it to hurt her, but I'm using it to um, help instruct her in the right way. And I think that's a very personal thing. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that I would not be able to talk to Erin about that if I was not close to her. Like, I would not be able to bring her the scripture and Mm -hmm. say, hey, I don't think what you're doing is right. Let's let's look at what the Bible has to say about this. So to me, that's a very intimate and personal thing. And we have to be close to people to be able to share God's word with them. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think that's ultimately fighting spiritual warfare because what you're doing is you're you're trying to prevent sin or you're trying to help someone turn away from sin. Mm -hmm. And I think like if we look to scripture to see this take place, I mean, we see Jesus do this when he's tempted right out in the desert. Like what he does is he he uses scripture. scripture. And so I think like you're saying it is offensive or offensive. Offensive. It's both. (laughs) Um, But what, what Jesus does is he says, you know, like, Hey, you're trying to tempt me with these things. All I have to say back to you is scripture. Right. That's it. Right. It's yeah. done. Mm-hmm. Like I don't have to do anything else. And so to me, that's really comforting knowing, okay, I have this tool in my belt like that I can actively use, not just as defensive to prevent spiritual warfare, but also when I'm in the thick of it, when I'm struggling with whispers from the enemy or when I'm, you know, feeling alone or whatever it is, whatever my spiritual warfare that I'm feeling right now, like I can be an active Part of that, like we talked about before, yes, we rest in the fact that Jesus has already conquered this, but we also are called to put on the armor and to have Mm -hmm. a role in it. And our role is to use the tools that God has given us in his word to actively say, you know, like, no, you are lying, God, Mm -hmm. or, ooh, lying, (laughs) God, oh my gosh, you're lying, enemy and yes, to be yes. able to quote scripture because the enemy can't do anything against scripture right right and so i just i think we can look to jesus to see mm-hmm. a good example of what that actually mm-hmm. means to have the sword um as the mm-hmm. word of god yeah yeah for sure um and then let's see verse 18 basically is when it's talking about prayer mm-hmm. um all armor is activated by prayer and so paul's just reminding him of that and to pay attention and stay alert stay alert stay alert don't give up to pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, and also I think prayer might also be considered oh, yeah, an yeah. offensive weapon, yeah. um, or also part of the sword of the spirit because mm. prayer, um, you know, is it, you're using the spirit, not using the spirit, but you know, the spirit is a yeah. part of prayer. Yeah. And so I think that can be part of the sword of the spirit as well. Um, I think prayer definitely can be used as an offensive weapon. So Yeah, I think all of these things, like, it's not that we're literally putting on a helmet, but we're prayerfully reminding ourselves of these things. Mm -hmm. And so none of them really work without Without prayer. prayer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So verses 19 through 24 
And also for me, the words that may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you may know how I am and what I am doing. Ty, Ty, oh, Tychicus, he said it in the sermon, and now I can't remember. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be to oh, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So this is his kind of his closing statements, which is actually pretty short for him, like a closing remarks. Mm -hmm. But um, what kind of stands out to you from that closing passage? So there's a few different things. First of all, exactly like you said, instead of ending the letter with like a big personal update like he does sometimes, he says, I'm going to send this guy to you and he will update you in person. Mm -hmm. And so to me, this just shows the the importance of relationship to Mm -hmm. Paul, you know, he's like, I'm sending my friend anyway. I'm just going to have him do this, you know, face to face instead of through a letter. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's part of what I love about Paul. I just feel like he's so personal and he really cares about his relationships. But then the other thing is, um, is that when proclaiming, when he has them pray for him, he's praying that um, he would have both clarity and courage. Mm-hmm. Because if what you say is clear, but it lacks confidence, the people aren't going to remember it. Mm-hmm. But if what you say is you're proclaiming with boldness, but they don't understand mm-hmm. it, then that defeats the purpose too. Right. So when you're teaching the word and when you're proclaiming the gospel anyway anywhere like it's important to have both and mm-hmm. so that's what Paul was asking for he was like hey y'all pray that I'm both clear and courageous mm-hmm. in my teaching of God's word yeah that's good I like that and then we end kind of the same way we began with grace and peace um, peace being that unity with each other and with Christ um, and that's all made possible because of his grace it's mm. good it's so. good that's the end. Yeah. 23 and 24. Um, the, my ESV note has a good little um, note on the ending. It says that Paul concludes his letter with a benediction of peace, love, faith, and grace upon his church. Just like Casey said, as he had done in the opening, he mentions love three times, which is fitting for a letter where the love of God, the love of Christ, and Christian love have been mm-hmm. the predominant themes. So, Casey, what's going on with the summer? So, we are going to take a little break, and we will be back August 1st, and we're going to have a fun little interview series for Mm -hmm. you guys. So, we're really excited about that. So, join us August 1st. And over the summer, feel free to listen to some old series. Yes, please do. Please do. And keep up with us on social media. We're always out there. If you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. And most importantly, share with a friend. The beautiful music that you've heard on this episode today is by the incredibly talented Katie Cobb.